a, a Bible, we're going to be still uh, there in, in Exodus chapter 10, but mostly uh, chapter 11 today. And um, one of the things I've been mulling over uh, this, this last week, not for any particular reason, is the idea of the last word. The last word. Are you one of those people who needs to have the last word? You know, when you're there in a, an argument, not that you ever have them, of course, or a, a, a heated discussion with, uh, with somebody else. Do you feel deep down that need to make sure that the last voice that is heard is yours? Or actually, probably more easily, who's the person you know that always has to have the last word? It might be that you want to nudge them, but uh, it might be that they're not in the room. But the thing is, there are some people that always love to have the last word because what I mean by that is they're the last person to speak. The other person has nothing else to say. And so having the last word means that the other person has either chosen not to say anything because they're bored and they just want to end the argument or because they're dumbfounded. You've defeated them with your wit, your intelligence. So to have the last word in an argument is normally the sign of coming out on top, winning. You've used your wit to silence the other and your word is the end of the matter. So I wonder, do you know people who have to have the last word? Even that closing remark, we'll have to agree to disagree, is another way of exercising that same power. The last word is about winning. And that's the stage that we've come to in our story in Exodus. Uh, we've seen, if you're a visitor, then you, you'll kind of just briefly fill you in. But we've seen, for the past three or four weeks, a series of nine plagues. Uh, and nine plagues, nine afflictions on the people of Egypt. And a back and forth in a conversation between Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, and Moses the leader of the Hebrew people. Uh, there would be a conversation followed by a plague and then another conversation and then another plague. A couple of weeks ago, Elliot used the, the analogy or the picture of like a boxing, bite, a boxing fight with two contenders trading punch after punch. And the question is, well, who's going to land that knockout blow? Well, in the bit of the Bible that Helen read for us earlier on, we do have the last word. This is the last interaction between Moses and Pharaoh. Uh, we were actually discussing uh, when we were sort of thinking about how to break up the, uh, the, the book of Exodus. We, we wondered whether to include this passage with what goes on next week, because there's quite a heavy overlap between this week and next week's passage. But I think this week is really important to have in its own right because it marks, if you like, an end, an end of everything that's gone before. So a reminder, this is a real story with real people in a real place. Sometimes we kind of forget that when we look at the Bible, don't we? We forget that actually these stories are 
stories about genuine individuals, people just like you and me. And yeah, it's easy to forget, but last year I was, uh, I was quite fortunate and, and, and very grateful to be able to visit this place, this place called Karnak, uh, the ancient city of Luxor. Uh, historians reckon that this conversation between Moses and Pharaoh took place here. So we walked where Moses walked. We stepped where Moses would have stepped. If you just flick back a second, um, Mehdi, thank you. Um, we, uh, when you arrive in Karnak, what you do is you go in and you're surrounded by these massive, great big statues. These great big imposing granite columns. The, the statues of the gods around all the walls. And Moses, when he arrived, would have had to go through this sort of great big entranceway. On either side of them were, you see on the right-hand side, those, that statue there. That's Ramesses II. He was the pharaoh at the time of Moses. That's 10 metres high. Every time Moses went in to see Pharaoh, he would have had to walk past two statues, 10 metres high, full of granite, incredibly heavy things. And he was just little, little Moses. Think of the power difference there. Think of the experience feeling so small, so insignificant. This is a real story about a real person in a real place. But what I want us to do is to think about the story and, and think actually about the characters within this story. We're going to think about these four characters that are up there uh, on the screen. I want us to think about how they've changed throughout the series of the plagues, the conversations that we've seen throughout the past weeks. Uh, and I want us to see how this conversation between Pharaoh and Moses actually points us to something bigger. Something that actually includes not just people 2,000, 3,000 years ago in ancient Egypt, but us here today. We're going to think about Pharaoh. We're going to think about Moses. We're going to think about the Egyptians. And we're going to think about the Lord. That's why they're up there on the screen. Uh, over the past three weeks, we've thought about the plagues, the different plagues and what they've taught us about the Lord, haven't we? So it sounds a bit odd being in church, but we're not going to spend a lot of time focusing on him and his actions in this passage. We'll touch on them, but I want us to remember what we've seen to this point. We saw how the plagues demonstrated his power. The Lord is God over creation. He's the one who made us. He's the one who made everything and at his command, creation responds. He gathers the frogs, the flies, the locusts. He commands the hail to fall from the skies. He plunges the world into darkness. We've seen how the, uh, how the uh, plagues show his patience. He rescues people mercifully. He doesn't destroy immediately. And the plagues have taught us about his passion, his passion for his people. At times he makes this distinction between the Hebrews and the Egyptians in a way that the plagues affect them. His passion for justice, treating people as they deserve. His passion for his name's sake. Time after time, he says that he's acting so that people would know that he is the Lord. Each plague impacted on an area of responsibility for one of Egypt's gods. So he showed he was God as he had power over Happy, the Egyptian god of the Nile, or Nut, the god of the skies. 
Every plague exposed the gods of the Egyptians as powerless before the Lord. So there's a brief reminder, if you like, uh, of what we've learned about the Lord. But let's look at Pharaoh. Let's look at Pharaoh. We first meet Pharaoh actually back in chapter 5. Have a flick back a couple of pages uh, into chapter 5 and we'll see what we, uh, what we can learn about Pharaoh there. Moses asked the uh, uh, Pharaoh to, uh, to go and worship. He, he says, can we, uh, can we go and worship? But have a look at what Pharaoh says. Verse 2 of chapter 5. Who is the Lord that I should obey, them, uh, obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. You see, Pharaoh has enslaved God's people. And he's incredibly defensive when it comes to responding to, to Moses' request, isn't he? He's defensive. Pharaoh goes, no, 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 you're not going. Moses warns that the Lord may strike them with plagues or the sword. But Pharaoh is still strong in his defence. Who's the Lord that I should obey him? Get back to work. And he told the slave drivers to make life more difficult for the Egyptians. Uh, for the Hebrews, sorry. He's brutal. He's oppressive. Look at the impact that he has in verse 21 on the Hebrew people. How did they feel? Well, it says this. They said to Moses and Aaron, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses is annoyed, understandably, but he's annoyed and probably scared. He's annoyed with God, isn't he? Have a look at verse 23. Of chapter 5. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. Pharaoh seems very much to have the upper hand, and Moses seems quite scared of the threats of Pharaoh. But it's not just Moses who's scared. Let's have a look on the impact as the, as the plays carry on on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. What do we learn about the Egyptians? Well, the Egyptians, they followed Pharaoh. He was their ruler. Time after time, Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let God's people go to worship the Lord. And if he didn't, if, Moses, if uh, Pharaoh said no, then the Lord would send a plague. Time after time, the plagues came upon Egypt. Time after time, Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. Pharaoh had seen God's power. He'd felt the impact. Egypt was taking a bit of a beating at this stage. Elliot argued last week that Egypt was being brought to its knees by the impact of every plague. Each time a new plague would happen, it would weaken Pharaoh's kingdom. Each plague systematically exposed the Egyptian gods to be powerless in the face of the Lord. And so think about those Egyptians now. They're not guiltless, are they? They're not guiltless. There are a few things coming up on the screen now as to uh, how they were. They weren't guiltless because they themselves had oppressed and enslaved the Hebrews. They quite enjoyed that role, that opportunity to, uh, to exploit them. 
They'd had to dig, though, along the Nile for clean water. They'd experienced the inconvenience of boils and flies, the devastation of their livestock dying, the destruction of the plants by hail and locusts. They were vulnerable. Throughout the land, their livelihoods were rocked. They weren't able to grow enough food for themselves. You'd hope that seeing their people in need would turn Pharaoh's heart. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, wasn't it? Do you see the picture that we're building up here? We've kind of got Pharaoh who's looking down. He doesn't look particularly nice, but the poor Egyptians. They'd followed Pharaoh. They'd taken their slaves, but they were really bearing the brunt of what was going on. Pharaoh's heart was hard. He didn't actually care. Just uh, flick on a few mo. I'll, uh, I'll tell you when to stop. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There we go. Brilliant. Rock speed. Fab. Say so hard-hearted Pharaoh. Now, interestingly, on a couple of occasions, Pharaoh does relent, doesn't he? Uh, during the plague of hail in chapter 9, verse 28, he asked Moses to plead with the Lord to stop. But when he relents... Pharaoh came back fighting. Again, chapter 10, verse 17, the locust ravaged the country. He begs them to forgive my sin and plead with the Lord to remove this death. But he quickly changes his mind. Pharaoh's a liar. Deep down, he had no care for his people. He only cared about himself, his power, his reputation. He was bitter. He was fanatical. He was destructive. But the Lord keeps on reminding him. He brings him to his knees. And I think we can realize that at this stage, Pharaoh cannot take much more of what's going on. With every passing plague, Pharaoh's weakness becomes more and more exposed. They say a wounded animal is, well, the most dangerous beast. And Pharaoh has one last shot at trying to finish this fight once and for all. He wants the last word. So what does he say? Let's go back to chapter 10, verse 28. Pharaoh says this. I was trying to think about how he would say it. Try to think about it. As, as you hear the words, think about how would you imagine Pharaoh saying these words? Then Pharaoh said to him, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. I reckon it could have been one of two ways he could have said it. It could have been, get out of my sight. Absolutely raging. Or it could have been like something out of a gangster film. I can't do an Italian accent. <laughs> Don't even expect it. But that sort of calm, collected, menacing, get out of my sight, because if you see my face again, you will die. Either way, it's pretty threatening, right? You need to be very careful, Moses, because... Come back, I will kill you. 
It's not, I will put you in prison. It's not, I'll make things worse for you. It's, I will kill you. See how this is the ultimate threat? There's nothing bigger that he could claim. Pharaoh will shut Moses up once and for all. He'll stop the requests by killing him. It is scary. Do you know, I've only ever faced this threat once. Like genuinely, I've, I've had lots of people that tell me that they'll kill me, but there was only one time that I actually thought that it might be true. Um, it was when I was at university and um, a thief burst out of a neighbouring room in my halls and, uh, and I chased him. I chased him wearing my Mr. Lazy slippers. And um, I chased him through the streets, the dark streets as they were at the time, and eventually caught up with him. I'd gone run through all these alleyways and everything like that. I caught up with him and cornered him. And uh, he turned around to me. It was like just me and him. All my other friends had gone the other way. <laughs> it was convenient, wasn't it? Um, it's just me and him. And he turned around to me and said, I'm going to kill you. And he probably used slightly more fruity language. Um, and I genuinely didn't know if he could or not. So what happened? I let him go. Because I wasn't prepared to find out. It's pretty scary though. Because you genuinely don't know if somebody's got the power to do that or not. I mean, it's a rubbish punchline to the story. But, um, but that's the reality. That's the ultimate threat. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, go for it, yeah. I think, I think we're all a bit lost. No, no, we're all up to speed. We're up to speed now. I, I just add living a bit here, Mo, you see. I'm just adding a little bit to the, uh, to the story. But the truth is, that is scary when you face that reality. And I think, actually, what Pharaoh expects is exactly the same. He expects Moses to run away and never to come back. He thinks that this is his way of winning, his last words. But are you surprised by what Moses says in the end of chapter 10? What does Moses say at the end of chapter 10? He says this. It's on the next page. Just as you say, I'm not going to appear before you again. Basically, he says, yeah, right. No problem. Nothing to worry about here. I won't be back anyway. You see, he's not scared. The Moses who we saw in chapter 5 who was scared in chapter 10 is confident. He was worried, wasn't he, in chapter 5? People are saying, Moses, Moses, Pharaoh's going to kill us with the sword. And he grumbled to God, whereas this time he's like, Pharaoh's saying, I'm going to kill you with the sword. And he's like, no, you're not. He's not scared. Moses' cowardice has become confident, and that's because he's grown in faith. When Moses went to Pharaoh, though, he spoke God's words. That's the thing. What was it that changed him? It was. I don't think this is working, Mo. He trusted the Lord, didn't he? Because he's grown in faith. He spoke God's words. He promised a plague, and it happened. That's what's key here. Time after time, Moses had learned from the past. He'd learned God does what he says. He's learned that the Lord is a promise keeper. 
Moses had joined the dots between God's words and God's actions. Every single one of those plagues was the Lord doing what he'd already promised. So when Moses, when Pharaoh says, I will kill you, what does Moses think? He thinks, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to what the Lord says. In fact, actually what he does is he thinks about what the Lord has already said to him. Look at 11 verse 1, 11 verse 9. The Lord had said to Moses. That's what he was thinking about. What is it that the Lord had said? Well, the Lord had promised one more plague, a plague to conclude all the others. And then he promises afterwards he will let you go. That's the promise. Pharaoh says, I will kill you. And Moses says, no, Pharaoh, let me tell you what the Lord is going to do to you. Let's start at verse four. So Moses says, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There'll be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will leave. This is, if you like, Moses' mic drop moment. There is nothing else to say after this. There will be one final plague, one final judgment on Egypt, a worse than a worst ever day of wailing, a dreadful day to be remembered throughout all history. And this is the Lord's doing. He isn't going to use the forces of creation to do this. He himself will go through Pharaoh's land judging Pharaoh and everyone else who aligns with him from the greatest to the least, a death of the firstborn. But everyone who aligns with God is safe. There's wailing in Egypt, but with the Hebrews, there is silence. He will protect and rescue them. Not even a dog will bark. Interestingly, the ancient Egypt of, uh, Egyptian god of the afterlife was a dog. <laughs> Not even a dog will bark. So what are Moses' last words to Pharaoh? I will leave. In other words, you have threatened to kill me, but you can't. You have no power over me because my Lord has power over you. He turns out and storms out in a rage. He's had the last word. Let's just briefly fill in though with the Egyptians. Well, we've seen, haven't we? They began by oppressing God's people. They were loyal subjects of Pharaoh, slave drivers in chapter five, but throughout the plagues, they began to see some things about the Lord. When threatened with the plague of hail, it says in chapter 9, verse 20, the officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and livestock inside. 
And did you notice in chapter 11, verse 3, it said that the officials, uh, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. It's interesting, isn't it? What I want you to do is we're going to take a bit, bit of a pause. I want you to chat with the people around you or person next to you or whatever. Introduce yourself if you need to. Wake them up if you need to. One way or another, doesn't really matter. Um, but I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine that you're an Egyptian. How are you feeling as you hear what's about to unfold? How are you feeling as you look at Pharaoh, the Lord, Moses? What have you seen recently? What are you thinking about? What are you considering in terms of your actions for the future? Okay, so just have a brief chat. Think, how are the Egyptians feeling? What are they like? Have a chat. I'm in particular going to be looking to the Ignite Plus people to, uh, to help us with this, just to warn them. <laughs> I should have told you that beforehand, but... Uh... Okay, right. So what are some of your thoughts? What are some of your thoughts? I'll, I'm going to start at the back with the Ignite Plus lot. Um, but any, any thoughts? If you're an Egyptian, how are you feeling at this stage? What are, you, what are your thoughts and reflections? What are you thinking? What might you make in terms of a decision? Any ideas? Anyone? Yeah, go on, Hannah. Okay, so, so you're scared. You, I, absolutely. Scared of what might happen next. How else might you be feeling? Anyone else from the back? Clearly not. They've got lots of ideas, but they're keeping them all to themselves at this stage. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? If you're an Egyptian, what are your reflections? How are you feeling? Anxious. 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 Worried. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Angry. Angry. Who are you angry at? Absolutely. And why won't Pharaoh let them go? If only Pharaoh would let them go, then you'd be safe. Rightly angry, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All these things that I put my faith in. They're empty. They're not helping. Vulnerable, scared. All of those kind of things. Now, those Egyptians are real people too. They're not just figments of imagination. They're not made up in a story. They are real people. And the Lord was working in touching their hearts. So they were favorably disposed towards Moses and his people, so much so that they wouldn't be clinging onto them as slaves, but instead releasing them with goodwill. In fact, we discover later that some of them even start joining God's people and leave with them. They began to recognize and look at the evidence of the Lord's power and align themselves with him. And so I want us now to step back. We've looked at this story, but I want us to see that this story points us to a bigger story, a bigger picture. 
So this is a real story with real people about a real rescue. But it points us to a spiritual reality and a greater rescue. Here are some of the dots that I'd like us to join. The first one is that there are two things that are different about this final plague. The first is that we know the Lord himself goes through Egypt and enacts it. But the other thing is a bit hidden in our translations, and it's in verse 1 of chapter 11. It says this, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. The word for plague there, as I say it's hidden in our translations, is different from the word for plague in the entirety of the rest of Exodus. All those other nine plagues were described differently. This one word is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to, discuss, uh, to talk about leprosy, but it's actually picked up in a really significant place. When it comes to sort of looking at words, you often think, where is it used elsewhere? What is it trying to teach us? Why has the author chosen that specific word? Well, the other place that this is used is in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is a, a chapter about the suffering servant of the Lord. And it's used here in, it says this, for the transgression of my people, he was stricken, he was plagued, that word. So it's used in Isaiah 53, this same word, to say the suffering servant suffered a blow like the final plague of Egypt. The suffering servant who was afflicted for sin is Jesus. Start joining the dots. There'll be more dots next week, I hope. If there aren't, then we've got something drastically wrong. But I don't think that was enough to make an explicit connection. Let's add something else into the mix. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, and this is taken from the New Testament. I found this really interesting. Anyone who's around at Christmas knows that we looked at Hebrews chapter 2, and we were talking about, uh, it's all about how God became one of us as the Son shared our, his, our humanity in Jesus. It says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see more dots here? Pharaoh's last resort was to go with his biggest threat, which is, I will kill you. That's how desperately he needed or tried to cling on to his power over Moses and the Hebrews. He wanted them to fear him by fearing death. And that's the power that the devil tries to wield in this world. The fear of death. Lifelong slavery. But just as Moses knew that it was the Lord who has power over death, so Jesus dies to prove it. Jesus dies to free those who are enslaved to its fear. And Jesus was raised in new life to prove that the devil doesn't have power over life and death. Only God does. So you see how this connects? This is a real story about a real rescue that points to a spiritual reality of a greater rescue. So the final question I'm going to ask is this. 
We want to kind of ask this, kind of normally when we read a story in the Bible, we often find ourselves asking this, who am I in the story? Where am I? Because often we like to think, I'm Moses. I'll go to Pharaoh. We'll come to that in a second. The reality is, naturally, we're all the Egyptians. Which is why I wanted you to think earlier on about how you respond, how they might be thinking, how they might be feeling. They were subjects of Pharaoh, and so too we naturally live under the apparent power of the devil. We even demonstrate some of his character traits. We want to be in charge of the future. We don't want others to trample over us. We don't want God to interfere in our lives. We hate talk of judgment on us. But we saw, didn't we, that the Egyptians had experienced that living under Pharaoh was not good. It was a life of fear. They saw that Pharaoh didn't care for them. They were angry at Pharaoh. But they saw in Moses a man of integrity, a man who spoke God's words, a man who promised rescue from Pharaoh. And they began to listen to him. They acted on his words. There was wisdom in that. You see, the logical thing is for the Egyptians to listen to Moses, isn't it? They would say, I've seen all the plagues, the plagues, they were terrible. We need to listen to Moses. That was their evidence, but we live with a much greater evidence. We have thousands of extra years of God's promise keeping. But the best evidence of God's power isn't even the destruction of Pharaoh or the rescue of the Israelites. It's when he kept his greatest promise, when Jesus, his son, experienced death like all of us will but was raised to new life. That's what he achieved and what it says in Hebrews 2. He frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So think about yourself today. Today, just as in those days, the Egyptians had a choice. Who am I going to follow? Will they follow Pharaoh? Will they follow Moses? So too, we have a choice. Would you follow the devil? living in fear, exploited for his gain, ultimately facing judgment? Or would we put our trust in a God who keeps his promises, who's passionate for his people, who's patient, who's powerful, who protects and rescues us through Jesus? You see, there is no comparison. If you're at that point where you think you need to turn away from trusting yourself and begin to align with God, then... Now's the time. Come talk to me, please. But maybe you've already made that choice. Where do you now fit in this story? Well, the truth is that you stand with Moses. You stand with Jesus. But that doesn't stop the devil from wanting to have the last word. He still wants you to live in fear of him. He still wants you to believe he has power over you. He still wants to enslave you. He still wants to destroy you. And I hope that angers you. Moses was raging. And quite frankly, when we see the impact of the devil in our lives and other people's lives, we should too be raging. Because he's a bully. He throws out his threats. He's a liar. He's bitter. He cares about himself. But we can and we should expose that.
That's kind of what I've been trying to do today. Exposing Pharaoh for who he is, ultimately, we actually see Pharaoh's a picture of the devil and we've exposed him for who he is. Exposing the powers opposed to God. We are with Christ and so we have the last word. And the last word is this. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The saying that is written will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. We're going to be singing uh, those words in just a moment. One with my Lord, I cannot die my soul is purchased with his blood. We pray, our Heavenly Father, that those truths would echo into our hearts and our lives, that we would recognise that you have the last word, and that last word is that death is swallowed up in victory. Please help us to live in the light of that for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen.